So 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12, says this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, when we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise them, if they are in fact not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. For the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray. We pray that we can know your victory this morning, that we can have a more full and complete understanding of what belonging to you looks like, of what victory in you looks like. We thank you for all that you have done, all you are doing, and all you will do. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So, a little bit later, a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 15, <laughs> in, the same, uh, in the same chapter, Paul has this to say. Uh, it's, there's a lot in 1 Corinthians 15, so I kind of had to be a little bit like choosy about what I was going to take. But the conclusion of this whole resurrection piece, like 30 chapters after I finished, uh, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And, and let's be clear, this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> we know that death cannot have the victory. We know that death no longer has its sting because death has been swallowed up in victory through the work of Jesus Christ. And it's Easter, so I get to talk about this. <laughs> I get to talk about resurrection and joy and victory and all the good things that I really like talking about. As Tim Hughes sung in his aggressively mid-2000s song, Happy Day, uh, death is beaten, you have rescued me. <laughs> we didn't have that one today. <laughs> uh, this is a time we really need to hear about victory, I think. There is there's a real feeling of defeat, and, and I feel it too. Uh, this 
This year has been really hard. This week has been really hard. Kind of crawling to the cross and then and then doing my best to crawl out of the grave as well. It's it's been tricky. I know I'm not alone in feeling that way. But over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the at the good news of Jesus, and we've been looking at good news, which I hope is actually good news to people. Uh, we've seen how God doesn't abandon Jesus, how God doesn't abandon us. We've seen how God doesn't delight in punishing sins, but really delights in pardoning our sins. And last week we looked at Jesus and how Jesus on the cross experienced every human wound, physical and mental and spiritual. And despite it all, he still cries those words, forgive them. And so we know that we are forgiven. Even if we don't know that we're forgiven, we're still forgiven. I had a meeting with the with the elders this week, and I said, "Hey, I'm I'm actually having a lot of fun preaching. I'm so just so you know, <laughs> I really like teaching and sharing, but preaching exhausts me. So like after I preach on a Sunday, I go and lie down and have a bit of a cry. That's like how the pattern, which is why I schedule myself to preach every two weeks, so I have time to kind of." Um, gather myself I suppose but I was like you know I've got to do all of these and I really want to do them in a row which has been a lot of fun uh, but but has uh, taken quite a lot out as well uh, but I, I don't know I can't believe I'm still having so much fun after preaching this many weeks in a row and and uh, Bill one of the elders said well James you're preaching good news it's like actually good news for people so <laughs> you shouldn't be surprised that you're having fun with it uh, but but it feels like good news, right? It actually feels like news that is good. <laughs> that, that death has been defeated, that God doesn't abandon, that God doesn't forsake, that we are forgiven. This feels like really good news to me. And, and sometimes the good news that Christians might profess or tell or, or maybe even yell at us on a street corner is that because God punished Jesus, he's not super mad with everyone anymore. And that's the good news. And, and it doesn't feel that good to me. But but it's okay, and if you're watching this and thinking, well, that's how I understood the good news, um, that, that's okay. Like, let's have a conversation. Uh, I, I really love doing that. I've had two people call me this week and said, James, I disagree with you. Let's meet up. And I said, yes, let's do that. That's perfect. That's what I want. I want to continue to have these conversations, and I want to be able to uh, grow and learn from others and hope that they can do the same. So if I say things that freak you out a little bit that's okay we get to have a conversation these things are new to a lot of people i know that it, i know that's the case uh but i'm just too excited to not share these things and i'm not i'm just too excited to to proclaim this like where oh death is your victory that's our proclamation today we get to ask this rhetorical question and know that jesus has the victory over death So it's really interesting, I uh, say, I've been researching it this week, that that, that question, like, where death is your victory? And for a real long time, Christians had a, a really great answer to it. Uh, when people say, where's your victory? Christians will be able to say that Jesus, by dying and returning to life, has conquered death. That death doesn't have ultimate power or authority anymore. It did for a really long time. Death had the final word, and now Jesus, through resurrection, means that death no longer has the final word. 
death has been swallowed up in victory. Uh, as, as it says really bluntly in those verses in Corinthians I read out, that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, bummer, and so is your faith. That's probably worse news for you. <laughs> and so for over a thousand years, people knew that because of the resurrection, that death could not have the final word. It was really simple. But then, then some sad pieces happened, and, uh, and one of the things is that Christians got a little bit too concerned about winning arguments instead of winning people. And they got a little bit too worried about victory over the people that we disagreed with, as opposed to celebrating Christ's victory over death. And, and when we did that, we averted our gaze from the empty tomb, and we fixated ourselves on the cross. And kind of got stuck there, actually. Uh, when, so when kind of rationalist arguments came in, and this is a boring history lesson, but bear with me, and basically said, well, people don't come back from the dead, so that's a stupid argument. <laughs> uh, and people, instead of saying, well, we know that Christ is risen, they went, ooh, ooh, you might have a point here. Let's see what else we can lean on. And what people leaned on instead was the cross. And so they said, well, death has been defeated by Christ's work on Good Friday, kind of ignoring what happened on Saturday and the resurrection on Sunday. You see, we're too fixated on things that we kind of can historically verify uh, ignoring this beauty and truth of the resurrection. And so people got a little bit too focused on the cross of Friday and not nearly focused enough on the tomb of Sunday. But, but I need to emphasize this, understand that for majority of Christian history, the focus was just as much on the empty tomb as it was on the cross, maybe more so. And that's not to say the cross doesn't matter. We've done three weeks on why the cross matters. The cross really matters. And I could do another 33 weeks on why the cross matters. There is a lot about the cross that matters, but the cross is not the only thing that matters. Because to be blunt, <laughs> when we ask that question, where, O oh, death, is your victory, uh, the cross has an answer but the empty tomb doesn't. The cross can point to the lifeless body of Jesus as death's victory, as Satan's victory, as sin's victory. Now, it's wrong. <laughs> it's because it hasn't understood everything that's happening in that moment, but, but it sure looks like a victory for death when Jesus dies. <laughs> Unfortunately <laughs> for them, the empty tomb points to the resurrection, resurrected body of Jesus as death's defeat. So the cross points to the lifeless body of Jesus as death's defeat. The empty tomb points to the resurrected body of Jesus as death's defeat. Sorry, lifeless body. <laughs> Let me say that one more time. The cross can point to the lifeless body of Jesus as death's victory. The empty tomb points to the resurrected body of Jesus as death's defeat. That is to say the resurrection matters, and it matters a lot. So let's, let's go back to that Friday uh, for a moment. <laughs> let's go back to when it seemed that death did have victory after all. When beauty and perfection and love dies. <laughs> Good Friday is just two days before the empty tomb, but they're an eternity apart. 
on that day of the crucifixion, Jesus hung alongside two robbers, uh, which shouldn't be a surprise because he spent his entire life amongst the undesirables <laughs> and amongst the most scorned in society. So his, his death shouldn't really be much different. And though one mob, um, robber mocked him and the other one begged that Jesus remember him, I think on that day there is a third thief that hung on the cross. And the third thief <laughs> is our king. A thief who is going to rob sin and Satan and even death itself of their destructive power. That is what Jesus is going to do. That's what our thief is going to do. The bloodied, suffocating, disgusting, enthroned king of kings and lord of lords was about to descend into hell and rob hell of everything it holds valuable. One version of the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus descended to hell. Some say descended to the dead or was buried. Uh, but that descended to hell is, is an interesting one, and we've been saying it for 1,700 years. So I wanted to reflect on a little bit of this thing that we've been saying, uh, but, but what does that look like to say that Jesus descended to hell? What do we do with that? Because I believe that he's going to descend and he's going to take everything that hell has. Because where a death is your victory. I mentioned hell there, and I know that's going to conjure up different images in different people's minds, and, and that's okay. And different traditions think about hell in different ways. And there's, the reason for that is because the Bible honestly isn't really super clear as to what hell is and what looks like and what goes on there. Uh, there's lots of different interpretations of this, and plenty of them are valid. And that is a talk for another day, if you want it. Uh, but whatever you think hell is, this is the point here, that whatever you think hell is, <laughs> Jesus, by not being contained by death, has robbed hell of its power, has robbed Satan of his power, has robbed death of its power. Jesus has redeemed it all. And I, and I want to spend a bit of time thinking about that. I want to talk more about Jesus and, and, and the greatest heist ever pulled. <laughs> where he, as Hal Creed says, he descends to hell, where he robs sin and Satan and death of the final word. And um, to do this, I'm going to be drawing on something called ransom theory, uh, which has blown my mind, and I hope it blows yours too. And remember, there's lots of theories about how Jesus defeats death, and they're exactly that, they're theories. They are not the good news. The good news is that we are loved. The good news is that Jesus is going to break every chain. The good news is that death has been defeated. That is our good news. Don't get obsessed with the how. <laughs> what matters is the why, and the why is that God loves us. <laughs> and what matters is the what, and the what is that it's done, it's finished. <laughs> death has been defeated. The how is not nearly as important as those other pieces. So let's, let's talk about redemption for a second as well. Uh, redemption matters here, I think, and how we understand redemption, what that word means. Uh, we call Jesus Redeemer, uh, but I worry that we've kind of lost what the word means. Uh, we, it's come to be very, very religious, hasn't it? <laughs> 
I think we've uh, decorated the word redemption with, with so many roses that it looks pretty and it smells good, but we can't actually work out what's going on there. <laughs> Uh, but redemption's a, a pretty common word, especially 2,000 years ago, and what it was most commonly referring to was buying back a slave. Uh, redeeming a slave meant that you were the new owner. Like, I'm redeeming you, you're, you're mine now. And, and whoever owned you before and whatever damage they did to you, uh, you don't need to do that because, because I love you and I protect you, says God. So Jesus' as Redeemer says that, like, you're mine and now... I can protect you. I can love you. Um, Paul says in Galatians 6, 17, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body uh, the brands that show I am owned by Jesus. And the thing is, when obviously when God does redemption, he kind of exceeds expectations, right? This isn't God meeting a guy in an alley and, and handing over a, a wad of 50s and buying someone. God goes above and beyond because, of course, God's going to go above and beyond. Uh, the, one of the greatest examples of redemption in the Old Testament is uh, the Israelites in Egypt. Uh, the language, uh, the best language we can use there is that God redeemed them out of Egypt, and I say God goes kind of above and beyond. Uh, God isn't really one for hostage negotiations. And he tries pretty hard with Pharaoh, right? He's like, how about this? How about this? And eventually he's like, you know, whatever, we're done. <laughs> like God doesn't pay Pharaoh. Instead, he just goes, look, I'm taking my people and they're all going to be mine now. And actually, whilst I'm at it, I'm going to take a bunch of your gold as well. Like <laughs> It's like a full-on plunder. Uh, that is what a redemption of God looks like. It's a rescue of a people. It's not just one or two of God's people that goes free, but it is all of them. <laughs> and will they need for the journey too? That's, that's what redemption looks like. God declares these people are mine and asks, where, O oh Pharaoh, is your victory? So this is where it gets interesting and where we're talking about ransom. The payment for redemption was called the ransom. That's, that's the payment part of it. And we think of ransom nowadays as being simply paying, like getting a hostage back primarily. Uh, but the word is, is far more beautiful and less limited back then. It's, again, it's about freeing. This is what I've paid to free you. That is the ransom. It's not just someone holding someone hostage. It's anything it takes that God can say, you're mine now, you belong to me. And so how did the early church understand Jesus' life as ransom? Essentially, and, and Jesus says, you know, my life is going to be a ransom for many. And the way the early church understood this is that basically death is a necessary cost for him to be able to descend into hell. It's like, when I call it the greatest heist ever, I really mean it. Uh, the early church understood it as this, that God wanted to destroy hell, uh, but God couldn't go to hell because it's hell. Uh, <laughs> but God taking on the form of a man, and Satan looks at Jesus and goes, ooh, there's a sinful human, he's mine now. And then he takes Jesus down, and now Jesus is in hell, and all of a sudden, Satan has got a whole bunch more than he has bargained for. <laughs> it's 
like Ocean's Eleven, but way cooler. <laughs> we call Jesus Redeemer, the one who who takes back slaves and takes back those in bondage and calls them his own. So when you when when Jesus is in hell and he finds the souls that don't belong to him, what do you think he's gonna do? <laughs> he's gonna redeem them. Early theologians uh, use this language called the harrowing of hell. Um, and you know, actually, let's let's put the picture up now. Um, so this is this is an image. This is like a icon. I think it's originally, it's definitely centuries, years old, the original one, but there are lots of harrowing of hell pictures. I really encourage you to look at them because they're awesome. Because simply the, the harrowing of hell is a depiction of the resurrection that shows Jesus ascending from the graves, uh, that Hades' doors are broken down, the doors of hell are broken, and this one they're laying in a cross. And Jesus is taking Adam and Eve by the hand, and in doing so, takes all of fallen humanity by the hand and frees them from their imprisonment of the devil. And you'll see in the image, uh, the, the cross, uh, the doors of hell have formed a cross over this pit, and in the pit are like snakes and, and shackles. <laughs> Quite simply, Jesus ascends to hell, unlocks the gates, unlocks the chains, pins Satan down and sets the captives free. That's what the harrowing of hell is. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? <laughs> the gates of hell will not overcome, says Jesus. <laughs> they cannot overcome. Why can't they overcome? Because death has been swallowed up in victory, that's why. third thief has robbed sin and Satan and death of their power. That is what's happened. Early preachers use this image of hell being stupid enough to swallow God. And literally, it's like, and it gave hell a tummy ache, like it made them sick, and, and then it threw up everything within it. <laughs> to, to use a maybe more poetic language, Christ is risen. Do we really think he's coming back empty-handed? This, this might be new to some of you watching, that's okay. And as I said, these are just theories. The good news is that death has been defeated. We get to ask how, but it doesn't matter as much as the fact that death has been defeated. But, but this one, I gotta say, like, it makes sense to me as I've been thinking about it this week. I want to be careful about uh, just bringing in odd bits of scripture, but I think there is a, a narrative all the way throughout uh, that people seem to run from God and they seem to enslave themselves to all kinds of things that aren't helpful and don't love them. And over and over again, God seems to be the breaker of those chains. I think there's a theme that we see all the way through Scripture. And so I, I'm leading on these verses to, <laughs> to help support that, I suppose. But even so at the end, I mean, Revelation, when John encounters Jesus, he says, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. 
and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So, so to be blunt, <laughs> if, if Jesus holds the keys to Hades and death, what do you think he's going to do with them? <laughs> I think the Redeemer is probably going to redeem. <laughs> it seems like something he'd do. In, in Mark 16, Jesus talks about building his church and how the gates of hell will not overcome. So, do we believe him? Do the gates of hell overcome Jesus or don't they? I don't think they do. John uh, 12, 32. Oh, I've spent a lot of time here this week. Uh, Jesus says, now is the time for judgment of this world. Uh, it will say the ruler of this world, but uh, Satan is, is what he means there. We see that all the way through John's gospel. Um, Satan will be driven up. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. <laughs> like, doesn't that feel like good news? Doesn't that feel like good news? I will drive out Satan. I will draw everyone to myself, says Jesus, proclaiming, where, O oh, Satan, is your victory? They're all mine now. Isn't that good news? Where, O oh, sin, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, Satan, is your victory? They've been swallowed up. Jesus has swallowed them up. That's our good news. They've been swallowed up in the victory and the life and death and resurrection of our King, Jesus. Uh, we're going to finish shortly. Uh, and we're, we're going to sing All Hail King Jesus. And, and the bridge to that is uh, let every knee come bow before the King of Kings, let every tongue confess that he is Lord. And I believe that they will. And I think that's good news. Uh, and I'm, yeah, so I'm coming to the end uh, of this message and in the end of this series, I guess. <laughs> I've had fun with it. Uh, but I thought I'd finish with words uh, wiser and more uh, enduring than my own. Uh, when I was researching this and ransom and harrowing and victory, uh, something that kept coming up again and again was the Easter homily of John Chrysostom. And Chrysostom was already a hero of mine. Um, he was made a bishop against his will at the end of the 4th century. And he sold all the valuable things in the bishop's palace and gave the money to the poor. And then he was eventually killed for preaching about people not wearing fancy clothes in church <laughs> when the emperor's wife was present. <laughs> and so she took that kind of personally. I'm like, I love John Chrysostom. <laughs> Uh, he's also known as the gold, like golden tongue or golden mouth uh, because his preaching was so brilliant. Uh, many considered him to be the finest preacher in, in Christianity. And before his exile and death, slightly before, he preached a sermon on Easter Sunday that was considered so good that the church said, we shall preach this every Easter Sunday until Christ comes again. Uh, so for like 1,600 years, they've been, this will be preached in um, Orthodox churches this morning. I'm only preaching the back end of it, though. But like, how's that for a legacy? You give a sermon so good, they're like, well, no, we can't top this. <laughs> And it speaks of victory, and it speaks about the greatest heist ever, Paul, and it talks about robbing death and sin and Satan of all that they held, and it talks about Christ as redeemer for all, and it's beautiful, and so I figured I would end here.
Chrysostom, circa 400 AD, says, Let no one weep over their sins, for forgiveness has burst with light from the grave. Let no one be afraid of death, for the death of Jesus has freed us all. Embraced by death, he subdued death. Having descended into hell, he took hell captive. He embittered hell when it tasted of his flesh. Hell was in mourning, for it was abolished. Hell was distressed, for it was condemned. Hell was impoverished, for it was deposed. Hell was destroyed, for it was bound. Hell took on a human and touched God. Hell took on earth and met heaven. Hell took what it saw, but was overcome by what it could not see. Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are brought down. Christ is risen. The demons have fallen. Christ is risen. The angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen. There are no dead left in the grave. For Christ, having been risen from the dead, is to become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. Guess an amen from me. Let's pray. God, we pray that we know your victory, that we know your redemption. Perhaps most of all, we know your love. We know that we are loved by you and that you love us despite our disagreements and despite our inconsistencies. that it pleases you to call us your own. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the wisdom that they are able to share, for the differences of opinion that paint a brighter, more vivid image of who you are. We pray that we continue to listen and journey together so that we can all say, where, O oh death, is your victory, and know that you are Redeemer, and know that you are Conqueror. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.